Good job for making it through to week five. Uh, usually we we get some atrophy here. So thanks for waking up. Yeah. Um, Should we say something to all the other guys that aren't here and be like, you guys all rang the bell. Oh, they're the dead bell. to us. Yep. We have, rang the bell. We've killed them off in our week. minds. Yep. We're going to pin the tridents on your chest. Yeah. So after this, we're going we're gonna to list their names in the back, and then that's our hit list. So you've got your assignment for the week. That's week six, actually. Um, after belong to his body, uh, we're going to, like, yeah, whatever. Um so this morning, uh, like I said, it's our last week. Uh, first off, this is Scott Rieger. A lot of you probably know Scott. Um, Scott is awesome. It's funny because last night I was at the kitchen table with my family eating dinner, and uh, we were talking about, hey, Naomi, in the middle of August, you're going to move up classes, and it's going to be like this, and all that. And she was super bummed because Scott is her Candeo Kids teacher. And like Scott's the reason she hates to miss Sundays, you know, and doesn't want to go to first service with me. She wants to go to Candeo Kids and then go to second service. And I was like, Naomi, have you ever, have you ever realized that Scott? I think the reason you like Mr. Scott so much is because he's a lot like your Papa Philip. So Sarah's dad, uh, and Sarah and I have talked about this a lot. And like Sarah's dad is one of the most godly guys I know, just on the planet, you know. So it's like. Scott's basically the Cedar Falls version in almost every way of, of wow. Sarah's dad. So there's there's your uh, there's your bio. And I think I told Jake when we were meeting too. I'm like, I have never been more endeared to somebody <laughs> I know very little about than Sarah's dad. Well, it's we all love ourselves, so that's <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's true though. Scott's Scott's awesome. I'm a, he's gonna really teach like two thirds of this. Uh, because I just want to sit and learn with you guys. Um, but so this last month, the month of July, we've gone through week one. We talked about hear his voice. And so uh, talking about the discipline of, of the word and getting into the Bible and how to start reading the Bible, both for breadth, so reading quantity, and then reading for depth. And so as we're reading through the Bible, we're making you know notes on the side of like, hey, I, I want to study that a little bit more, and then maybe we come back to it. And, and Maybe it was helpful for you to think of it as like raking and digging. We're raking, we're getting the leaves, you know, away, and then to figure out where we want to dig. And then the next week we talked about hear his voice through the discipline of meditation. And this isn't meditation where it's like empty yourself and think of nothing. It, no, it's meditation of, of filling ourselves with the word of God and letting the word of, of Christ dwell in us richly. And we talked about what that looks like to, to embrace that discipline in our lives, to slow down for the purpose of, of meditating on the word of God. And then the next week, Jordan and, uh, Jordan and Mark taught us on prayer. And the biggest thing I took away from that was uh, Jordan's crazy with his note cards, and I'm sure Scott's got a system like that. Uh, well, it was helpful for me because I would lose the note cards, and you wouldn't be able to read them anyway. And so for me, though, was when, uh, was when Mark was talking about, well, Monday I pray uh, for my marriage and for my family. Tuesday is connection group night, so I pray for the people in my connection group. Wednesday is elder meeting, so I pray for elders in our church. Like that system that he kind of walked through where he just connects kind of his focus of prayer for that day to you know, a thing that's happening that day was, it's so simple, it, but it was just revolutionary for me. It was just so easy. I mean, he said it once and I could remember it. And that was, that's the thing that was just so helpful for me. So we talked about the habit of prayer. Um, and we've had some cool stories too of, of people, uh, particularly in the area of prayer, growing in that and wanting to grow in that and pulling other people in and say, hey, like, I'm not good at prayer and I hate praying out loud, but like, can we just pray together so that I can grow in this, um, this gift of grace? It's been really cool. Uh, last week, Cody talked talk to us about belonging to his body. Um, I got a, I got a slide for this. I'm just looking at it. Yeah. Uh, belonging to his body and in the, uh, the importance of Christian fellowship, the importance of, of, of having community. And he kind of talked about having that, like, almost that like define the relationship moment, but with another dude, uh, that might've been uncomfortable for you, but like to have, to have a couple guys like in your pocket where you're like, no, these, these are my guys where it's like, like I'm, I'm on their team. They're on mine. Like I'm going after them. I'm pressing into them. Um, I'm helping them persevere in their faith and they're doing the exact same thing for me. Uh, may, there may be some of you who feel, uh, Maybe you're leading your connection group or whatever it is, and you feel like, well, I'm I'm always the only one investing in others. Uh, you you gotta also get people 
around you that that it can be a mutual kind of peer relationship. And so I was talking to a guy last night on the phone where where he and his wife are just killing it at investing in younger people. But when I asked him, like, hey, do you do you have any peers, like any community yourself where you've got another person pressing into you and investing in you? And he's like, no, not really. And and I was just encouraging him, like, hey, that's that's just as valuable as what you're seeing these mentoring relationships as you also need that community. And so I think it's easy for us as guys to think that we've arrived to a certain level and now we're, it's just we're investing in others kind of thing, but that we need Christian community, Christian fellowship. And so today uh, what we're, what we're going to talk about is it's, it's called the coda in your book, but you probably, if you read it, recognize that it really is on stewardship and it kind of hits three areas of stewardship. Um, and so before we get into it any further, uh, we kind of want to tee up the table discussion. And, and the question is this, the question to discuss, what motivates you to do something difficult and then see it through to completion? And, and here's the reason for this question, all right? As Scott and I were meeting and as we were talking about kind of how to, how to walk through these different uh, stewardship disciplines, uh, one of the things that we talked about was I, I think sometimes as guys, uh, men were made to be load-bearing animals, okay? Like... Uh, Todd Van Voorst, if you go to Anthem's website, uh, go to where Todd Van Voorst teaches through Titus 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. And you'll, you'll hear in that message, he uses this analogy of, of men are like trucks, where it's like you get a truck that's got nothing in it, and it kind of rattles, it kind of squeaks, it kind of shakes, it's kind of squirrely, like you just got rear-wheel drive, it's, you know, it's just... It doesn't seem. It's like you just gotta. You just gotta keep it on the road, right? It it doesn't drive as straight and as steady and as smooth as as it could. But then you load it down and you put some weight in the back. It's like okay, now now you can actually go, right? And things aren't quite as squeaky and it's a little straighter and the the back's not fishtailing out on you and stuff like that. And the point he was making is like like we were as men designed to carry a heavy load actually carry something. And it's possible that if we're not carrying a load, that we might be like the squeakiest people around, where it's like like, like young men, if, we, if we're just complaining and if we can't find anything good and if we're just constantly critiquing and all this stuff, it's like, well, maybe you just need to carry something. You know, maybe you're not carrying a heavy enough load and you're just so preoccupied with your own life that, that you're not actually doing something. We're, it's almost like we, we can be allergic to... to uh, to working hard, you know, in every area of our lives. I don't just mean vocationally. I mean, like, in our families and in our parenting and in our, in our, uh, in our community relationships. Like, it's almost like, I think, at least for me, it can be the mindset where it's like, well, I work really hard at work, and then everything else is free time, veg time, right? And so that's kind of where this is coming from, to tee it up, because we'll get back to some of these things later on. But uh, what generally motivates you? Uh, to do something difficult. It, it doesn't have to be spiritual. It could be the, you know, 5K or seven-mile thing, Philip, that you ran or wh whatever it is, something difficult. Uh, what, what's your motivation to, to do that thing? And, and then how do, how do you have the motivation to see that through to the end? Or are you the kind of person who just has a bunch of unfinished projects and maybe mine out a little bit why that is? So spend some time at your tables uh, kind of discussing that, and then Scott will bring us back, and we'll kind of walk through disciple-making um, finances and time. We're ready to roll. Hey, as Jake and I uh, were meeting last week just to try and, you know, kind of give some overarching some things. One of the things we talked about around right on the front end was like, we realized that after reading through a book like this, for the vast majority of us, it's, it's not a question of like, hey, you don't have to convince me that these things are important, right? I think most of us are like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm convinced of that. Maybe you started out not being convinced and maybe, you know, now you are. But as we really kind of looked at this, we're like, so really what I want to focus in is like, I would, if you don't have to convince me of it, now I'm at the place where I'm like, all right, now what? Now what do I do with that? And within the that idea of applying everything, these habits of grace, these channels that, you know, we're standing in, not to merit God's favor, but just to, you know, encounter his grace is like, now what does it look like within 
you know, the stewardship of discipleship, the stewardship of our financial resources and the stewardship of our time. And that stewardship word is really where we kind of landed. And so this morning as we talk about discipleship, um, our finances, and then our time, if you walk away with one thing is that, as Jake referenced earlier, we should be load-bearing kind of guys. We should be putting weight in the, in the, you know, the back of our trucks. Um, is thinking about this idea of stewardship. That's like the overarching umbrella of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And within within the the idea of discipleship, and maybe you look at discipleship and go, I've never thought about stewarding discipleship at all. You know, like discipleship is discipleship. And, you know, as we look in, you know, the chapter on discipleship is this idea of, I think you have a slide up there, you know, the fulfilling the Great Commission. And I know we've heard this a lot at Candeo because it's just part of our DNA. But this idea that the gospel was never designed just to go inside of us and just stay in us. It was always designed to fill us up and then to spill out out of us and into other people is kind of the driving stewardship of what uh, fulfilling the Great Commission discipleship looks like. So if you look at page 198 and slides up there, it says, but not only does going deep with Jesus soon lead us to reach out to others, but also reaching out leads us deeper with him. This idea of stewarding discipleship and evangelism well is this idea that everything we've been talking about up to this point um, you know, the habits of grace of being in God's word and prayer, um, all of those things that we talk about community and being in fellowship with each other, they drive us to the reality of that everything that we're doing going deep with God this way should mean that we're also then going deep with other people. We're pouring this out of us and other people. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, I think for the vast majority of my life, what's been poured into me, I always had this idea, is like, it's just to make me know more about God, right? And be that good husband, be that good father um, that the Bible commands me to be, but then to stay there. So much of, I think, our lives, particularly as men, is we want to reach a certain level, and then it feels like we're just satisfied to stay there, like we're satisfied to, to plateau out. Like we hit the, you know, we hit a, we hit a, a 10K, and we're like, cool, why would I want to run more than 6.2 miles? Like, that seems plenty to me. And we never think about how can I steward that better to, you know, continue to move on past the plateau. And within the idea of discipleship, this idea of going deep with Jesus should drive us, right, to, to leading out with other people. And there's, I was noticing as we were going through here, too, is there's something that keeps us on the edge. There's something about being on the front lines of of God redeeming the world um, that is good for us. You're going to hear a, a phrase, I think, within the these three topics today of discipleship, uh, our finances, and um, our time. It's this, is we have to be building in resistance into our lives. And we'll go into a little bit more detail um, in the next one. But but this idea of there's something that keeps us on the edge as we experience the high-stakes conversations that tend to happen with unchurched people. He says that uh, later on in, in that same chapter. And I love that idea of when you are in relationship with unchurched people, people who are either religious and lost or who are reckless and lost, when we're in both of those contexts, there is just something that it keeps us on the edge, right, where we need to be um, in terms of discipleship. Um, and I love that idea. Um, one of the examples that I always, this is going to sound a little bit heretical. As I teased it out in my own mind, I was like, is this heresy? Is it really putting too much weight on who Paul Sabino and Stan Hayek and Todd Van Voorst and Joel Vint were? Guys that some of you know, some of you don't. Some of you heard Troy reference, I think, a Sunday ago. Um, and it was this for me. This is my own personal experience is that when we entered into relationship with those guys you just heard, what I saw in them was very, very similar to what you see in the New Testament when the Pharisees encounter the disciples and they go, these guys are uneducated men and they're speaking and saying and doing things I've never seen before. These people have to have been around Jesus. They have to have been around God, if, if that makes sense. And I'm telling you guys, I saw that within the context of Paul Sabino, Stan Hayek, Joel Vint, and Todd Van Voorst. 
and I don't throw out the uneducated thing to make it, you know, like these guys were just dumb dudes. I saw men that I'm like, they didn't come from a seminary background per se, like initially. I'd always, I'd always had it in my mind that the guys who are spiritual studs are the ones that went to, to seminary, right? The rest of us are just the common folk, right? And I saw men who were radically influenced by Jesus that were common, ordinary guys that just loved him more than anything. And then it's just basically demonstrated what it looks like. And that's what discipleship is. That's what the Great Commission calls us to do, not just within the context of this, but with people who are far um, from him. And so I was really captured with that stewardship of what that looks like. So when I say stewardship of discipleship, this is what we're talking about. This is uh, kind of the thing that uh, I guess is my heart has been convicted in, is that when we look at at how do I steward discipleship, particularly with unchurched people? It's we look at there has to be this balance bes- between structure and social. Jake and I were kind of noodling on this back and forth, and it was really helpful. Um, and the context of it, I think, is this: is that in one sense, I want to have a plan of attack when it comes to my neighbors down the road. I was sharing with Jake that we've got neighbors that we're just starting to to really build some great relationship with the last six months. Um, and we've valued just knowing them as people, right? For I think a large part of my life, I've looked at people as almost a project. Like if I can just get them to church um, or if I can get them to read this book, then that will be the investment in it. And having really my heart captured by something Cody challenged us to do within being within people um, in the three block series that we did between what we studied in the fall, which I can't even remember anymore, but Hebrews, and valuing other people as people and going, all right, if I'm going after Tyler and Bailey, my neighbors, I want to go after them as people first. Well, I want to have this intentionality towards why I'm going after them, but I also want to, so I want to have that structure but I also kind of want to just have this loose kind of adaptability to who they are as people, right? If, I, if I'm saying that the right way. The, like the structure and the social aspect, I think both need to be an important component of, of discipleship and going after people. And what it looks like is this, is that the structure can, can go to, or the, the stewardship in this can go to, how am I structuring my time? Am I building, we're going to talk about this in just a little bit, but how am I building my time into... Um, planning out those times that I can have direct interactions with them, right? Am I planning out campfires so I can sit around with them and just, you know, have a God conversation or just find out who they are? Um, you know, am I structuring my time like that? Am I investing in those? Am I, you know, kind of moving some things around? So when I, when I look at structure, I'm like, am I structuring my time, my money, my family rhythms to help provide that context so I can have a social interaction with my neighbors? but also have a structural or a structured time with them, if that makes sense. And so when we look at stewardship, the structure is, you know, how am I going through these, these rhythms of my life so that I can have these opportunities to reach out to people? Um, and then also, also looking through, I want that social, I want that just kind of organic relationship to happen with them, but am I intentionally thinking through, well, what, conversation starters might I have. And as Jake and I were talking about this on Tuesday, one of the greatest assets I've ever had in my own life was Gospel 101 or Theology of the Gospel. You know, some of you guys have taken that here. Some of you had it through Salt Company. Even the basic question that I think they asked at the beginning of the book of, um, hey, do you believe in God? And if so, describe him to me. And if you don't believe in God, tell me why not. Like, even having that one simple question in my brain before I jump in to just a social interaction, I think is a great way that we can steward discipleship well. Oh, Jake, you got any other thoughts on Yeah, as we were talking, those? that this might be weird. Maybe this is just for the introverts. I don't know. Like, I'll rehearse those conversations a little bit. Like, I'll go into a... Almost any meeting, honestly, but like, especially if I know I'm going to be in a social setting with people I don't know or with my neighbors or whatever, like I'll kind of like when I'm showering, you know, getting ready for for whatever we're doing, I'll just kind of like go through in my head. What are some good questions I can ask just to draw them out? And then uh, and then I'll try to even anticipate the follow up question. Now, that might be a little robotic, you know, but I'm at least wanting to to not just let the let it let the time just float away with just 
pointless small talk, which is fine. It's just if that's all that that the relationships end up being, then then their their interaction with me as their neighbor is no different than with their neighbor on the other side, probably. You know, it's like like that. I, I want to interact with them in a distinctly Christian way that values them and loves them as people, so that the the small talk isn't just crushing my soul because they're not a project, but to also be able to to see them, you know, also as spiritual beings as well who will spend an eternity somewhere. It's like I've I've got to at least you know invest in that as well. So even just that little thing of like like priming like mentally priming the pump before you interact with even your neighbors or whatever can, can really help you steward that time and that relationship. Well, um, that's at least, but what I've done every once in a while, like I'll have like a, sh- <laughs> this sounds so stupid. I'll have crayons, like shower crayons, like in our shower. So I can just like write things down like while I'm thinking, cause what else are you going to write on in the shower besides the shower? And so, uh, sometimes I'll do that. <laughs> Sarah's got pictures of some, that sometimes it's sermon notes or whatever, but other times it's like, okay, what should, what could I ask them? It'd be a great stuff. new podcast. It gets showers. You leave certain. it long enough, it gets runny. Like it does. It's not a good long term solution, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. It is just being prepared for those things. And guys, my encouragement is this. This has encouraged me. Is that I I don't have to have everything run out. I'm I'm talking about just having a question primed and ready to go. And if the conversation goes somewhere, great. Maybe it'll be that that'll be the end of the conversation. But I think stewarding, even we can steward, you know, discipleship, discipleship well. So within the same context of stewardship, and we talk about financial generosity as well. Um, and if you've been at Candeo for any length of time, you know that we're unashamed about talking with money. We don't put that up there as some type of a, um, I don't know what the phrase I'm looking for but some type of metric of how pious we are. We're just like, money seems to be the biggest thing we don't want to talk about. Guys will talk about masturbation and sexual impurity and looking pornography long before they'll go. Uh, Let me show you my checkbook, right? And so we so want to have um, a stewardship of our financial, how God's been so generous with us. And so within the context of of stewarding our finances well, this is where, for me, even within the the context of discipleship, but also within uh, financial resources and our time resources, this this image in my own mind of building resistance in really comes uh, into play. And Proverbs 18, 10, and 11 says, says this, uh, it says, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. All right? So you're like, all right, I, I would affirm that. But verse 11 is a kicker. It says, a rich man's wealth is his fortified city. In his imagination, it's like a high wall. Um, those two verses have captured for me what it looks like um, to steward finances well uh, I've always had, I think, a desire to to steward finances well for the sake of the kingdom. I always thought my plateau was a tithe, right? And we've we've heard we've heard that a lot as well. But I was always happy to give my tithe. I was always I was always that was something that you know I felt was something I worshipped in and enjoyed that. But I was always willing to just stay there. Like I'm like, all right, cool. I got that. I got that mastered down. But within that, I also thought. Well, I have that over here. I also got proper stewardship of my retirement. I've got proper stewardship of my kind of rainy day fund that I should have, which are all good. Anybody that's ever been through a, a you know Ramsey class has heard those things that we should do to appropriately steward our finances. I was willing to just stop there, and my guess is that the vast majority of us are willing to go. I'll just I'll stop there. That's the end of it because I have my financial security in place. And when I encountered verse 11 of, Proctor, or of, of Proverbs 18, it really kind of shook me to the fact of like even that, even proper stewardship of taking care of our families and having right financial <coughs> reserves, it's a figment of our imagination in the grand scope of really what is important. And I'm not pushing against, you know, having those appropriate things. Those things are good. But if that is where my ultimate security lies, then it's a figment of, of my imagination. And um, page 209 says this. It says, 
Do you ever abstain from something you'd otherwise think of as the needs of life in order to give to others? And Jake said something, I think I put it down in my notes, as we were kind of talking through what it looks like to steward our finances well. Um, Jake goes, yeah, you know, I've seen that we're generous. We call ourselves generous as we skim off the excesses of being generous to ourselves. And, and when he said that, even within discussion of, of last, you know, last week, just taunting this out, I'm like, that's so true. That's so true of my own heart. Like, I, I feel like I'm generous, but I've already skimmed off. It's all the excess that I have after I've been generous for myself, right? And I want to have that right balance of being right on the edge, just like I've, you know, God's pushed me within the context of discipleship, but within financial stewardship of going, I want to keep myself right on the edge in those, in what? Parts of my life, am I abstaining from something that I would say, hey, this is a need of life. I need a new minivan. My transmission's about ready to blow up in my Honda Odyssey, right? Got that sweet shutter when I'm driving down the road between 55 and 65 miles an hour where I'm like, I hope a wheel doesn't go flying off, right? That's a need. That's a right need that we'd have. But what things am I building in to build resistance into my life that might make me forego that need that I have for the sake of some meeting somebody else's need. Um, Jake, you got other thoughts on yeah, that? Because this, this the, is a fun one to teach. This was one of the moments where I was like, wow, my, you are my father-in-law. Because <laughs> I remember uh, they Sarah growing up, they had this uh, uh, Mercury Villager, like this green bullet of a van, you know, had a little Nissan engine in it. And... They drove that thing for like 300,000 miles. I mean, this thing was a, a beast. But I, I distinctly remember uh, we went on vacation with her family, and they still had this like crappy minivan. And it broke down in, the, in Colorado. We were up in the mountains. We are like, man, do you smell gas? And like, oh, yeah. So we pulled off. And... <laughs> Uh, and her dad gets under the van. He's real mechanical, and so it's this hose that came off or whatever, and it needed it needed a zip a zip tie and a, and pliers to fix, you know. And Phil had a zip tie and pliers. I'm like, why do you have these things? Like this makes no sense. And he's like, well, he was kind of embarrassed actually to say it, but he's like, he's like, before I drive this van any distance. <clears throat> I go out to the garage and I pray in front of my toolbox and I go, Lord, I need you to show me what tools I need to bring uh, to keep this thing running. Cause he was like, he's, he's also incredibly generous. And so like the whole purpose of him keeping this terrible van around uh, wasn't because they didn't have the money to replace it. It's just that he, he didn't want to use his money on that so that he could use his money in other generous ways that had nothing to do with buying things for himself. And so to the point where, I mean, you talk about living by faith here and living on a prayer, uh, like he, he's like, he's like Bon Jovi theology here. And so just praying in front of his toolbox, just like, Lord, you got to keep this running, like, so that we can, we can keep being generous and supporting all these things and, you know, whatever. But uh, it was so funny. I distinctly remember that moment where I'm like, Wow, I I was so challenged too because I'm like that's foregoing an actual need. I mean, this van is running on a zip tie, and but it's so that he can live a generous life, which was cool. Eventually, the van did die, and and they got a Honda Odyssey that had transmission problems. So, <laughs> so it's yeah. not just me. Any other Odyssey people out here? Cody, there you go. There you just go. wait for it. Yeah. Um, so the last thing, last thing we're going to talk about before we uh, go back to our tables is the stewardship of time. Um, and well, I'll just, I'll just read this. This, this may, if you read this, this, this had to have popped out to you. If people threw away their money as thoughtlessly as they throw away their time, we would think them insane. Yet time is infinitely more precious than money because money can't buy time. And, uh, and as Scott and I were kind of talking through this, um, the, I, I went online and I looked up the average household income of Cedar Falls. And then I'm, I'm not a math guy, but I, even I can do this. And David knows this. And, uh, I, I just was like, okay, let's just assume you work a 40 hour work week. I, I was trying to get the, the hourly value of, of the average household in Cedar Falls and the average, it may be more, it may be less for you, but on average, uh, 
a Cedar Falls household hour is worth uh, $28.30. And according to the cross-platform future and focus report, uh, again, uh, that concluded, they concluded that the average American spends two hours and 51 minutes on their phone every day. Now that's just, I mean, it's, it's across a variety of apps and stuff like that, but two hours and 51 minutes, almost three hours, uh, which means that the average American, if we just take, not the average American, the average Cedar Falls person spends $80.60 worth of time on their phone. And so as Scott and I were kind of talking through this, it's like, wow, the, the, way that we, the way that we steward our time, the way that we steward our free time in particular, our quote unquote free time, which is never free, it still has a cost. Uh, the question that came up was like, okay, would, let's just assume that you spend two hours and 51 minutes on your phone every day. Would you pay someone else $80.60 to be on your phone for that long? Would you pay someone else that hourly rate to do what you did with your free time yesterday. And that, that was kind of an arresting question for us because it's like, well, if I wouldn't pay somebody else to look at my Facebook that long, then why in the world am I doing it for that long? Like somehow in our minds we've disconnected, uh, we think stewardship as, as probably being purely financial when it's like, okay, now let's just put time in financial terms and let's see like if it also translates like would we waste our time just as easily if we just monetized it for a second um and so would you pay someone else to do uh, what you use your time for uh, or what you will use your time for today and if not why and if not what like what other things should you be using your your quote-unquote free time with you know now I know there's many of us in here, you're like, oh, I gotta leave at seven because I'm getting to work. Like a lot of a lot of us are we got jobs and stuff like that, but generally for me it's it's when <clears throat> it's when the workday ends. It's between the, the end of the workday uh, and bedtime is like that can be a black hole for our time, particularly after the kids go to bed. If you still got kids in your house, it's like like from eight o'clock until 11 o'clock, like that's my time. And man, don't make me, don't make me make a time budget because that'll be really embarrassing, you know, most weeks because time is like a budget. And in the same way, if you don't budget your money, you're never going to know where your money goes. You're going to be like, what, what happened to that 50 bucks? Like, I don't know. Cause you never budgeted it. And the same, the same thing happens with our time. If we don't manage our time, uh, our time will end up managing us and we won't know what, what happens with it. We'll find ourselves at the end of the day, uh, having wasted a whole lot of time. And I, I think it can be easy for us to trick ourselves into thinking that, well, that's somebody else that wastes time and not me. It's like, no, no, it's, it's most likely, unless you are just like hyper-disciplined, which that might be true. Some of you are just like, just kill it. Um, I think for a majority of us in this room, uh, the way that we spend our discretionary time could use a bit of evaluation. And for us to at least take an inventory on how we use that time and really ask ourselves, <clears throat> am I using my time in, in ways that are most effective for the kingdom? Now, this isn't to say that it's a sin for you to watch that movie or for you to, you know, you know, catch up on the office. If you haven't caught up on the office by now, you really don't want to. And, but like, whatever it is, you know, it's not a sin to do things that are fun. It's just so often that can be the thing that, that tends to consume our time. So, so some of us are frivolous with our time, right? Some of us just kind of throw it away. We don't know where it goes. Now to the person on the other end of the spectrum, uh, may, there may be some of you who see, who are like, who see productivity and efficiency as like the highest virtue that could ever be attained, right? Like some of you, you don't know what happens with your time. Some of you are just so hyper like scheduled and so very specific with your time um, that you almost see productivity and efficiency in life as, as, like, as like another fruit of the spirit. But the last time I checked, that wasn't a fruit of the spirit, right? Um, and so efficiency isn't a fruit of the spirit. And and if you want to know, like, if you value this, if you value efficiency too much, uh, look at the last time you uh, had conflict with your wife or the last time you were talking to your wife about her emotions. 
Now, what was your response to that? And, and see what you valued more. Did you value uh, efficiency in fixing how she felt and getting the conversation over with, which is what often I do when, when I'm standing in the kitchen and Sarah's not doing well. And in my mind, I'm like, this is going to take a lot of time. <sighs> like, can I just figure out what the problem is? give her a few ways that she can stop feeling the way that she's feeling, and then I can get on to like going on my bike ride, because that's really what I want to do, right? Or is my purpose in that conversation not to get it over with, uh, but, to, but to show her love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness. Um, Kevin DeYoung, in his book Crazy Busy, which... Uh, if you've never read this book, you you need to read this book. Like every single one of you needs to read Crazy Busy, uh, whether you think you're crazy busy or not. And it's really short. I mean, that's even the subtitle. It's like a, a mercifully sh- uh, small book for a massively big problem or something like that. He says, um, effective love is rarely efficient. People take time. Relationships are messy. If we love others, how can we not be busy and burdened at least some of the time? This is in the chapter at the end of the book where he says, uh, some of us are, some of us are, um, essentially some of us are frustrated with, with how busy we are or with how burdened we are because we never expected life to be difficult. Like that might be a thing where it might not be that maybe you're overscheduled. It might not be that you're frivolous. It might be that you're frivolous, but it might not be that your life is so hard. It might just be that you never expected your life to have any resistance in it. It's like, that's just life, man. Like, unless you live on the moon all by yourself with, like, like half gravity, you're always going to have resistance in your life. And that's part of it. That's part of loving people well, um, which, really is, uh, which really is the stewardship that we've been given, right? Like, when we talk about time management, um, I got this slide out of order here. Let's see. Uh, I love this thing when uh, David Mather said, let love for others be the driver of your disciplined, intentional planning. Like the purpose of stewarding our time well ultimately isn't so that we're uber efficient. It's ultimately so that we can love people best with the way that we've been gifted. And, and as, as we see here in, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so what you see here, if you, if you read 1 Corinthians, you see chapter 12 is talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 is talking about uh, particular manifestations of these gifts. So like speaking in tongues and healings and prophecy, stuff like that. These kind of like, those seem like super spiritual gifts, right? Like you can speak in tongues and you can heal people and you can prophesy. But right in the middle there in First uh, Corinthians 13, normally you hear this at weddings, but this isn't talking primarily about marriage relationships. This is talking about love for others being the the highest uh, expression of a spiritual gift you can possibly have. Like if you want to, if you want to have like a super great spiritual gift, Paul's like ending the debate here. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not prophesying. It's love. Like if I do all of these things, if I exercise all these things, if I'm super efficient with my time, if I'm generous with my money or whatever, but I have not love, it's worthless. And so God has gifted us in specific ways to steward our time and our relationships and our finances in specific ways, not so that we can feel great about ourselves, but so that we can actually love people. Like the way that we need to schedule our, our time is what, it, what most effectively loves others, not myself. And I think that's often the battle that I feel. It's like, uh, which makes it so that other people are in the way. Even my own kids, I can feel like they're in the way. It's like, man, you want to do this, and you want to play this made-up game that I don't know the rules of, and they keep changing because you're making it up right now. Like, like this is frustrating. When I'd rather be playing my guitar, I'd rather be riding my bike, I'd rather be reading this book, I'd rather be doing all these things than showing love to you right now. And it's the same thing if I see my neighbor out in his yard where it's like, man, if we start talking, it's not, it, I won't get out of this for 45 minutes. It's just like, but do I love Larry or do I love myself? Like that ends up being the issue. It's not because it's going to take so long. It's because it, it's really a question of who do I love the most. So at the end of the day, guys, what we do exposes our priorities. Like what we actually do exposes our priorities. Or, or I'll put it another way. What you do is what you've decided to prioritize. 
Um, we're not victims of our schedules as much as we'd like to think so. You know, a lot of times they'll be like, hey, how are you doing? And you'll be like, oh, I'm busy. As though it's like happening to you, right? It's like, well, who controls your schedule? Now, I get that there's responsibilities and obligations, all this stuff. Like, there are some things. And sometimes your boss maybe does control your schedule. But, like, when you get home, it's like, who controls your schedule? You're not victims of your schedule. And, and you aren't victims of your wife's schedule either. I think sometimes what can happen is that we as men outsource our family schedule to our wives, maybe because they're more organizational or administrative in nature or whatever it is. And then, we, and then all of a sudden we act surprised when we're running around doing all these things when it's like, well, dude, you outsourced your family schedule to your wife and she's doing the best she can. Like may, maybe you need to kind of man up a little bit, not in some weird authoritative, like the, you know, coming down way, but it's like lead your family. Like if your family is so stinking busy that you don't have time to like love other people, uh, that's on you. That's not on, that's not on your wife. That's not on your baseball coach. That's not on whatever it is. Like that's on you. Okay. Like we can make excuses, but at the end of the day, uh, we as men are called to, uh, to lead our, our homes and our families. And so if you don't like how busy your family is or, or the things that your family is busy with, uh, God made you his ambassador in your home. And so uh, he talked through scheduling um, using the big rocks pr principle. Uh, we've probably all heard that, schedule your big rocks and then put the little ones in and then the sand and then the water and air or whatever it is. Uh, Cody's got that more memorized than I am. Um, uh, you, utilize your mornings. That that was a section in there. I, I didn't wasn't going to hit too much of it because you're already doing that to a degree right now where it's like uh, you, you opted to not sleep until 7.15 and actually get up and do something that's uh, wor more worth your time probably than sleep. Sometimes sleep is a really spiritual activity, so uh, don't take that too far. But utilize your mornings um, and create flexibility uh, for meeting others' needs. Um, let's see here. Yeah. So David Mathis says here, love both plans for fixed blocks to push forward our productive labors of love, as well as allows margin and flexibility to attend to others' unplanned needs as they arise. And so uh, one of the things that uh, I think I was reading, I think it's in Dave Ramsey's uh, Entree Leadership book where he talks about um, uh, time management and scheduling, where he'll say, like, schedule in time to be interrupted. Like, sometimes I think... Uh, Interruptions are, are always interruptions, but it kind of softens the blow to what we were expecting. If we kind of like budget in some, uh, some flex time in there so that we can respond to the needs of other people. I, th I thought that was super helpful. Um, so that way, when someone interrupts you, it's not like killing your day here. All right, last thing before we jump into our table discussions. Uh, the goal of time management is not ultimately productivity or efficiency, but is using how you've been wired and gifted to love others. And so maybe the big question for you guys uh, that will probably play itself out in a thousand different practical ways is when, when I think of my time, does my time reflect, but does my time ultimately reflect a love for me or a love for others? And only you can answer that, okay? And so I'm not saying that it's wrong to to be part of that sports league or to have your kids in this thing or whatever. It's like you, those can be amazing springboards for loving other people, to getting to know those parents and like actually be stewarding those uh, those relationships for the purpose of mission. Like those can be great. But if, if you're not doing that, you either got to steward those relationships better or you've got to reassess how you spend your time and how that can actually love other people instead of just satisfying your own kind of itch for whatever you want to do. Um, I, I know I'm speaking probably pretty direct, but, uh, but I'm mostly speaking to myself here, right? Because like I said, that, that 8 to 11 time is like, if I'm not careful, that's Jake time, and that's whatever I want to do. And the, the lead foot often for me isn't how can I serve my wife? How can I go to bed exhausted, being a load-bearing animal here? Like, how can I go to bed exhausted because I've exhausted myself loving other people, including my wife and my kids and my neighbors and my coworkers? Like, that's the thing. In Sometimes we can be afraid of burnout. It's like, well, if I do that, I'm going to burn out. It's like, give me a break. Burnout? What are you talking about? Like, if we are spirit-filled filled people doing the things that God has gifted us to do for the sake of loving other people, like, 
like trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give you the, the stamina and the energy and is going to give you the rest that you need to be able to wake up the next day and do it again and do it again and do it again. Like <clears throat> I think sometimes I think sometimes men and I'm speaking to like my generation of men can be so uh, averse to or allergic to um, a f- like there's this fear that will like overexert ourselves. I'm like, I don't think that's the predominant problem with, with my generation is that we, is that we're too efficient. We work too hard and we love others too much. Like that's generally not the problem. Uh, I have yet to meet someone who that's their issue anyways. So, uh, what, what we want to do in, in this last, you know, 18 minutes is kind of in your in your mind take these three things take stewardship of relationships stewardship of finances and stewardship of time and just kind of like rank them by like what what am I what what am I actually like excelling in and what am I not doing so great in like like what's your best and what's your worst and you should probably know that pretty quick I mean you know yourself um, and so kind of walk through these as a table so uh, so share, like, like think of your best and it's like, okay, why, why does it seem like I'm not perfect, but th- this seems to be, uh, going well, where I actually do feel like I'm, I'm organizing my finances in such a way that, uh, that I'm able to be generous. Um, or maybe not like, but why is that going well? Uh, and the thing that isn't going well, uh, kind of answer some of these questions. So, uh, for the commission, who are you pursuing with the gospel and who are you currently discipling? Uh, finances. Are you financially generous to the point where you've chosen to go without something for the sake of loving someone else? Uh, and then time, does your schedule or your family schedule reflect a love for others or love for yourself? I, I'll say one thing on the financial thing, and then we'll, we'll send it off to you guys. Uh, one thing that is incredibly helpful as it relates to generosity is budget generosity. And I'm not just talking about tithing. I'm talking like, uh, like, like we should all be, we should be giving to our churches. But one of the things that we do is that we have a separate line in our budget for generosity, so we can like meet the needs, like the immediate needs of people, uh, right away in a real fluid way. And so, <clears throat> so we've got money set aside every month where it's like that's purely just, I and mean, it's just our generosity line, uh, and it's so that we can just give it away. Because ultimately, my my biggest issue isn't uh, isn't meeting the need. It's it's making sure that my grip on money isn't so tight. So even if even if that month generosity looks like I'm throwing twenty dollar bills out the window, I haven't done that yet. But like it's like I actually I, I need this more for my heart than that person needs it for their need. Right? Like I need to let go of this money because of what it does for my heart, not primarily because of what it does for their need. So that's just a quick note on generosity. But uh, jump into your tables uh, for about 15 minutes, and then we'll come back and wrap up the whole thing. Yeah. Land the plane. All right. So we'll wrap it up here. You can, you can continue the conversation afterwards, too, if you want. Um, just a couple things. So first off, thank you guys so much for being part of this class. I know it was a commitment to get up early every Monday for the month of July, but... Um, that really speaks to the value that uh, that you guys saw in this, and I hope that as you walk through the book, that uh, that you've been uh, compelled to and challenged to grow in at least one of these areas. Um, I know I have. So uh, I, I would say, second, secondly, to don't let this just stay with you, right? Like the point of of any of these classes isn't just so that you can individually benefit and grow, and all, which is good. Like that. That should be your lead foot there, but it's not for the purpose, kind of like what we've been talking about today. It's not for the purpose that it can just stay with you, so you can be, you know, robust in these areas. Uh, it's so that you can turn around and love others, so that you can lead other people well. That might be your family, and that. Uh, and, but I also hope there there's other men in your life that maybe weren't part of this that you can then turn around and have some of these conversations with, and and invite them into your own growth. You know. And be able to, like, not just come at them with a pointy spear of, like, man, you probably suck at this. And let me tell you, that it's like, like, no, I've actually been growing in these ways. And I just wanted to tell you how I've been growing. Like, how are you doing with that? Or what do you think about that? I mean, to, to kind of invite other men into your walk. I mean, that is the essence of discipleship and the essence of community uh, for us to be real enough with each other to go, like, man, I just don't steward my money well. And I, I hate that. And so I want to grow in that. Will you help me grow in that? What do you do? Oh, you are terrible too. Like, can we grow in this together? Like kind of thing. So, um, yeah, don't, don't let it end with you 
think of somebody that you can turn around and hand this off to uh, and grow together with. So, Scott, you have any kind of closing remarks? Yeah, the, the fun part of linking up with Jake last week was this. We had kind of this funny moment where we're sitting at Sidecar Coffee, and we're just talking about this idea of building in resistance, you know, which is the only way that your your muscles grow. And I know I've got doctors in the room. The only way your muscles grow is when you put them under resistance, right? And they, they break down essentially so that they can come back stronger. And as we talked about this idea of building in resistance within finances and within time and stuff like that, not for the sake of our own strength, but like, guys, we have to get stronger. We're, we're talking about this and even broadly as it applies to every one of these spiritual disciplines, we had like a napkin sitting on the table. And we were kind of joking around. It was kind of like, it's almost like we've got this napkin and we're doing this like, I'm so strong. I'm, I'm so, like grab the pen in the middle. Like we, we think we're working out and we're strong, but the, we, have, we have not built in any resistance in our lives to make ourselves stronger and better in these ways if i'm saying that right it was kind of a comical thing but a convicting thing to go that's why we're doing these habits of grace they don't merit us favor with god the desire is to sanctify us and i love how uh, cody brewed out yesterday like god's way more concerned with our happy or with our holiness than he is our happiness and as men we just got to build in these this resistance into our lives yeah, yeah. that's awesome i'd love to pray for us and then uh then we get on with the rest of our day let's pray Father, we're so grateful for your resurrected son who even gives us uh, the ability to grow in these areas uh, by the filling of your spirit. We ask that uh, you would help us to continue to grow, uh, not just for our own sake, but so that we can love others and ultimately so that you would be seen as awesome in the eyes of as many people on this planet as possible. And so, Lord, it really is for your own glory for your own name's sake. Would you help us? Would you empower us through your spirit uh, to find joy in walking in any, in every one of these areas of disciplines uh, of grace that you've given into our life? And so, uh, God, would you convict us, uh, reveal to us uh, our weaknesses? And um, we thank you that you lovingly walk alongside us as a loving father uh, who cares for his children, who disciplines us because you love us. And so uh, help us to walk in that joy, in that spirit that we already have your approval and your affections and, and the rest of this, Lord, is so that we would be conformed to the image of your son. We thank you for uh, your gracious posture towards us and uh, help us today to even live out uh, generosity in our relationships and our finances and in our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.